Good worship this morning, and it's good to see you this morning. God bless you for being here and being online with us. And for those of you online, especially, remember, let me remind you to communicate with us. We have that Connect card, that Next Steps card right there online. Uh, you have a question, you have a commitment you make, maybe you're even jo- uh, interested in joining fellowship with First Baptist Church. Click on those cards, fill those out so we can get to know you a little bit better. And you in the room this morning, you too, don't neglect to make those decisions. God is calling you to make, make fresh commitments or first-time commitments if that's what God is leading you to do today. Uh, and for you, the, the giving station at the back is also where you can drop in that Connect card as well as your offering later on in the service if you haven't done that yet this morning. The point of all that is communicate, connect, and commit and use the, use the opportunities to do that. Don't wander away. If God's speaking to you, make sure you listen and you respond as God is calling you to respond. If you are a longtime member of First Baptist Church, you'll recognize this is the first Sunday in October, and typically the first Sunday in October for First Baptist Church is homecoming. Uh, now, if, you, if you're not familiar with the term or how that applies to a church, it means God's people show up and eat. That's what homecoming is. It's really a Sunday, and we do it the first Sunday in October, where we rally up together uh, a lot of folks, uh, uh, past members of First Baptist Church, attendees, family members, rally up on site, and then we, we do indeed share a meal together afterwards. Sadly, Homecoming Sunday, uh, at least in practice, has is another casualty of the coronavirus. So let's look toward next year, where we can do it in, uh, again next year. But Homecoming Sunday is also a reminder of our heritage, and that's one of the reasons we love to do it. Uh, we love to, to look at our history, to be reminded of our heritage. It's healthy for the church, uh, and it, it reminds us it's healthy for believers in Christ to remember your walk with Christ and the church God has brought you to and, and where you serve him and have served him uh, over the years. Heritage, where we've been, reminds us of who we are, and who we are reminds us of where we're going. And that's why it's so important to Find who you are in God's word, whether it's for a church or it's an individual believer. God tells us who we are. Our heritage of faith is in God's word. Uh, A church that seeks its identity in God's word and who we are in God's word, that church will serve God consistently and faithfully through the years. Show me a church that is not consistently preaching and teaching God's word and their identity in God's word, and I'll show you a church that has drifted away from the calling of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission and the calling of Christ to be a moral voice in its generation. As closely as we are tied to God's word, we will know our identity and our purpose. The more we drift away from that, the more we have a hard time figuring out who we are and what we're about because it's God. That defines the church. God invented the church. God established the church. And God is the one that defines the church. The same is true for you and me as people and especially as followers of Christ. If you call yourself a believer, a follower of Christ, Jesus has given you a new identity in Christ. But every human being on planet earth learns our identity by God's word and how he has created us. And the farther we get away From what God says about us as people, the more we drift and the more confused we are about who we are supposed to be. 
The farther we are from what God says about who we are, the more we will struggle with who we are and wrestle with our identity because God is the one that defines who we are. Last week, we started a new message series where we're talking about identity, who we really are, and we're living in an age and in a culture that is confused more than ever about our identity. But this is not new. Uh, this, is a, this has been long established. Human beings have been confused about their identity, asking the question, who am I, searching for who we're supposed to be. We've been doing that for thousands of years, and we'll see this morning exactly why that is a problem. And we all know that there's a problem. That's one thing for certain. We know there's a problem. Even if, you, if you've never read the Bible, if, you, if you're not a follower of Christ, maybe you don't even believe in God. Every atheist knows there's a problem. There's some kind of problem in our culture. There's some kind of issue we can't seem to solve. And maybe we think the solution is education or the solution is politics and getting the right person in office. Maybe the solution's making more money, having more money, or giving more money. Maybe the solution's buying more stuff. Maybe the solution is bringing peace to the streets or more rioting in the streets. But everybody agrees we have a problem, and by we I mean humanity as a whole has some kind of problem. And at the core of that problem is this question, who are we? Who are we supposed to be? Why are we doing the things we do to each other? Why, why can't we find peace of mind and heart and a peace in our culture? What is going on and what's the problem? Last week when we started this series, we looked into what how God created us before the mask, we're calling it, before we wrestled with our identity, before we had a problem in our culture and in our lives and in our families. Before that time, how did God create us? Because that answers most of our questions. We come back to, and we see the Bible doing this over and over, we come back to creation. Even Jesus and even the Apostle Paul would consistently reference the created order. If you want to understand humanity, and you want to know how to solve our problems, and you want to understand uh, God's perspective, and you want to know what the problem is we have as humanity, we go back to the first three chapters of the Bible. The first three chapters of the Bible establish everything else that's happening in the Bible and has happened in our history. At the top of that list is our identity. Who are we supposed to be? Who did God create us to be? In this series, we will occasionally look at alternatives to our identity. Last week, we considered Darwinian evolution as an alternative to the creation story uh, that tries to uh, give a different take on, on what it means to be a human being and how we got started and where we came from uh, that is in direct conflict with the Bible. It's an alternative to what the Bible teaches. It's not compatible with what the Bible teaches. And through this series, we'll look at different alternatives, especially when we get closer to talking about biological identity and gender identity. This morning, I want us to focus in on the number one alternative that has haunted us since the beginning, and that's self-image. Rather than accept who God says we are, we seek to determine who we will be, and we stay confused and frustrated about it. We're told over and over we need to have a healthy self-image, and if we don't, we'll never be fulfilled, we'll never be content. And it's true that how we perceive ourselves matters, but that's not where it starts. It starts with how God defines us. 
And when we take God out of the equation and all we're told and all we're taught is to develop a healthy self-image, then we are only and always frustrated. Because we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to generate our own identity. And self-image, by definition, means you keep looking at yourself. And when you look at yourself, you just keep seeing what? A problem. But our culture is binging on self-image and captivated by it. And social media has has raised it to whole new levels. Kim Commando uh, is a radio host and a commentator and a syndicated columnist. about the. She writes about the Internet and technology. And not long ago, she uh, noted and wrote about a, a rising trend in new parents. That when new parents are picking names now, they look for names that will work as handles on social media. So they'll pick one or two names and then they start reaching those, uh, researching those names to see if they're already used as a handle on Instagram or on Twitter or on a YouTube channel. Because in the mind of our generation, the identity of their child is going to come from social media. And if social media doesn't say their child is somebody, then their child is a nobody. And they've got to grasp First, they've got to get a name uh, that will bring them their, their child an identity in social media. And also, by the way, it'll bring their kid dollars if it turns out to be a good idea. Have you ever heard of Ryan Kojic? When he was about four years old, Ryan's parents launched for him a YouTube channel called Ryan's Toys Review. And he, as a, as a kid, just a toddler really, started reviewing toys on YouTube. Ryan's nine years old now. Uh, His YouTube channel is now named Ryan's World. And last year, Ryan's World was the highest grossing YouTube channel in the world. Ryan's World brought in $26 million last year. I know. I'm already looking at some of the parents going, we got to get in on that. What were we thinking? But notice this. And I'm just asking the question. I'm not trying to indict Ryan's parents. But for the rest of his life, Ryan will only be known as Ryan on YouTube. That's his identity. That's who he is. The highest grossing YouTube personality in in the world right now. Is that how you want your nine-year-old to see themselves? We are hungry for identity and we're searching for it everywhere we can. And if social media will accommodate us, we will bow and ask to social media, who are we and who are we supposed to be? We have a problem. And it's not solved by better self-image. It's solved by who God says we are. The Bible says the root of our problem is simple. It's sin. The root of our problem is sin. Our confusion in our identity is caused by sin. If you have your Bible, find with me Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you are at all familiar with the story of the creation and the fall in the Bible, you know how this story begins. And it begins with Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, there in the Garden of Eden where God has put them. And we saw last week, that God instilled in creation our identity with four elements, four key elements to our identity. We are made in God's image. We are designed for relationships. God provides for us a purpose, and God gives us freedom of choice. Those four elements are key to our identity in that order. 
And because they are at creation, those four elements apply to every human being. It has really nothing to do with whether you're a Christian or not. To begin with, those four elements apply to every human being. You're made in God's image. You're designed for relationships. God provides for you a purpose, and God gives you freedom of choice. He gives you free will. So we saw God put put Adam and Eve in the garden with those things in his pristine environment. They know they're made in God's image. They have a good relationship with God. They have a good relationship with one another. They know that their purpose is to be stewards of the garden and to procreate. And then God says, you have freedom of choice. I'm going to tell you what not to choose. You can eat of any eat fruit from any tree in the garden. You can partake of anything in the garden. It's here for your provision. But you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There it is. Don't do that. Now, if you're familiar at all with the story, uh, the next thing we see, without any reference to how much time has gone by, but the next thing we see is that Satan is now in the Garden of Eden. Satan is on planet Earth. And he approaches Eve, and he talks to her about what God has said. Now, there's an important part of this before we go any further in, in the timeline of the events. When Adam was first created, God gave him the instructions about free choice. Then Eve was created, which means for Eve to know the instructions, she got it from Adam. Now, here's the problem. When, when Satan approaches her in the form of the serpent, uh, Satan questions her on what God actually said. Did God tell you not to eat of that, of that tree? And uh, He did that because he doesn't want you to gain knowledge like God. And, and so she quotes what God said. The problem is she elaborates on it. She gets it wrong. So either Adam got it wrong or by her elaboration, she gets it wrong. But either way, right there is the clue. Something's about to happen, and it's not good, because they have misunderstood, misstated, or don't simply don't know well enough God's Word. Because God's Word tells us who we are. God's Word tells us what's right and wrong. And if we elaborate on it, we rationalize it, we misapply it, then we're headed for trouble. That's exactly what happens. Eve tempts her. She takes from the tree God told them not to. And everything changes. And sin is ushered into the world. She gives it to Adam. Adam does the same thing. And we're going to see in just a moment that sin corrupts and confuses us in the same four elements of our identity that God gave us at creation. The same four elements. And these same four elements are the reason we have a problem with our identity. So let's go to the story. We're going to read scriptures as we go along this morning. And I want you to remember with me, sin confuses our identity. Sin corrupts and confuses our identity. It's because of sin. That's the problem that we struggle with who we are. So we're going to see the impact of sin on these four elements, these four components of our created identity. For example, first, sin corrupts our perspective. Sin corrupts our perspective. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. As soon as they ate of the fruit, this is what the Bible says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. What just happened in that short verse? 
Well, the Bible says that they, they did exactly what God told them not to do. They ate of the fruit. And as we read it, as the Bible says, their eyes were open. Now, that doesn't mean that they could not see physically prior to that time. What it means is they gained insight. But that insight was corrupted by their disobedience. So suddenly, just like that, their self-image becomes the focus of their identity. Not what God says about them, but their self-image. And when their self-image was corrupted, their first response was they were ashamed. They no longer saw themselves as valuable and worthy because they were created in the image of God. Now they see themselves as unworthy, unvaluable. They are ashamed of who they are. I intentionally did not say sin corrupts our image. I said sin corrupts our perspective. Because this is one of the most important points of the story in Genesis. Sin does not taint or corrupt God's image in us. We are still image bearers. Human beings, all human beings still bear the image of God. From conception to casket, every human being is made in the image of God. And every human being, God says, is valuable and worthy because we are made in His image. But instead, sin corrupts our perception of ourselves. And suddenly, rather than seeing us as God says we are, rather than seeing us as worthy and valuable and created in His image, now we worry about our self-image. We, we are ashamed of ourselves. We, we are seeking identity from somewhere else and someone else from that point forward. It raises the question, who defines you? In our sinful attitude, our sinful selves, we seek to define ourselves. We chase every avenue possible for acclamation, for applause, for identity. Tell me who I am. Give me an award for being who I am. Tell me I'm valuable. Tell me I'm worthy because all I feel is shame and deprivation. All I feel is, is despair and discouragement about who I am. Please tell me who I am. So we seek it from everywhere else we can. We try to motivate ourselves into a better self-image to, listen to this, feel better about ourselves. Funny thing is, your feelings will always let you down. You might feel great about yourself today. Tomorrow you wake up and you don't. Sin has corrupted our perception, our perspective on ourselves. And we have forgotten we are made in the image of God. And every human being is made in the image of God. He has already said what your value is. But sin and Satan tell you, you're not. And you should be ashamed. If I just described you this morning, consider this. Rather than pursuing a better self-image, before you even think of who you are, go to who God says you are. Don't ask the world who you are. Don't ask social media who you are. Get your perspective on yourself from God and the Word of God. As he'll never lie. He'll never let you down. And he loves you more than you can even imagine. Sin corrupts our perspective on ourselves. Secondly, sin corrupts our relationships. God designed us for relationships. 
Sin corrupts our relationships. Look at verse 8. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman. Don't you love that? She did it. You gave her to me. Okay, first he blames God. The woman, you gave me. You know, you're the one that made her, God. So it really starts with you, God. It's your fault she's this way, right? The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now remember, Adam was the first one to get the prohibition about eating from the tree in the first place. He was the first one to hear the word of God, and yet he's the first one to cast blame. Wow, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Why doesn't God bring into my life the perfect person? Why didn't God tell me this was going to happen? Why didn't God tell me that 10 years down the road after marriage, she would do this, he would do this? It must be God's fault. And if it's not God's fault, it's his fault or, or it's her fault, right? Because of sin, our relationships are corrupted. We don't see one another the way that we need to. But first of all, we don't see God the way we should. Our relationship with God is the first thing that we're confused about and that's corrupted by sin. Adam and Eve, who had the most pristine relationship with God in human history, the perfect relationship with God, they would meet him physically in the cool of the day to fellowship with Almighty God, their creator, with nothing between them. And now because of sin, they hide from him. God calls out, where are you? It's not because God doesn't know where he is. It's God eliciting a confession. Adam, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you hiding? God already knows. The man and the woman have sinned. And notice what he says. For the first time in his existence, Adam is afraid of God. I was afraid. So I hid myself. Sin corrupts your relationship with God. Instead of seeing him as your loving heavenly father, your creator, who adores you, who values you, now you see him as your enemy. Now you see him as your opponent. Now you see you don't see him as your friend. You see him as the one that you must appease or he won't like you. You're afraid of him. That's why you don't surrender to him. That's why you don't spend time with him. And it comes right down to it. You're afraid of him. You're afraid that you're not good enough for him. Even though his word says to come just like you are to, to trust Christ, you're afraid you won't be accepted if you do. And then you're afraid if you do trust him, he'll give you more in your life than you can handle and even though his word says he'll always be with you, to fill you, to strengthen you, to guide you, to lead you, that he always loves you, you're afraid of him. And since the day of the garden, God has been calling us out of hiding 
Because he's still here. And he still loves you. And your relationship with him can be healed just by trusting Christ as your Lord and your Savior. That broken relationship with God is the first relationship that must be healed. It's because of sin that that relationship is broken. And it's because of sin your relationships with other people struggle. And your relationship with other people are broken. Not only blame is in that mix, but uh, the fights we have, the yelling, the struggles, the lack of peace in the streets. All of this is part of the broken relationship. We just don't treat one another as well as we should. We don't get along with one another as well as we could. And the reason is sin. It's, it's, it's infiltrated our relationships. But when we come to Christ and we are changed in Christ, he gives us the tools, the power, the freedom to love one another just like we are, to grow in grace with one another. If you're looking for the reason that you struggle in your relationships, it is sin. That spouse of yours, I hate to tell you, is a sinner. And you're one too. How about that? So both of you need to come to Christ. Love one another. Your church, your fellow church member, yeah, they're not perfect. And Jesus said, love one another. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised the impact it'll make if you love one another. Sin corrupts our relationships. Then third, sin corrupts our purpose. Sin corrupts our purpose. At the origination of creation, God gave humanity two primary purposes. You remember this? Number one, procreate. Number two, take care of the planet. Tend, be stewards of what he designed, what he created, which puts us in partnership. And, and the relationship with our human partner goes along with our relationship with God to fulfill our purpose on planet Earth, to do what it is God has called us to do, to procreate, and to manage the creation. Now look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Now Adam and Eve have sinned and God is going to impose a discipline on them. This discipline is a direct connection to the created order. Look at this. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire for your husband, uh, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you and you will eat from it by, and you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. The connecting word is labor. Suddenly the very purposes God gave humanity have been tainted with sin. And under God's judgment, they now become laborious. They become difficult. Uh, that we strive rather than enjoy at times the very thing God designed us to do. And instead of finding our purpose in him and allowing him to give us our, our purpose, now we chase after other purposes. We, we are wired and designed to have a purpose. And yet we can't find it. We're, we're told over and over that we should be fulfilled in our purpose. And yet we can't find it and we feel unfulfilled because we haven't accepted the purpose that God has for us in the first place. The purpose of work, of contributing to creation, is now tainted by all kinds of work that itself is corrupted. 
in addition to the fact that it's just hard sometimes to work the planet because of the discipline, the punishment God put on it. The, 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 the purpose of, of childbearing and procreation, as much as we love children at the same time, women are taught that children are a hindrance. They'll even take the lives of their own children because of sin. The purpose of humanity has been tainted and corrupted by sin. But yet we continue to chase after it because instead of turning to God and surrendering to Him for our purpose, we say we we can find fulfillment. We can do this ourselves. Heavyweight champion Mike Tyson, he he boxed till 2005, then he retired. Uh, Now he has a podcast. Uh, not surprisingly, on boxing. And uh, this past July, he, uh, excuse me, this past March, he interviewed Sugar Ray Leonard on his podcast. And the two former champion fighters started talking about life after boxing. And when they did, Mike Tyson broke down and started to cry. Just right there on his podcast, he started to weep. Uh, the, The man who had won 50 fights, 44 by knockouts, melted into a a blithering mess on his own podcast. And this is why. This is what he said to Sugar Ray Leonard. He said, I know the art of fighting. I know the art of war. That's all I've ever done and all I've ever studied. That's why I'm so feared by other people. That's why they feared me when I was in the ring. I was an annihilator. That's what I was born for. That's not the reason I'm crying. I'm crying because I'm not that person anymore. And I miss that person. Those days are gone, he said. It's empty. And listen to this, he said, and I'm nothing. Wouldn't you love to to reach out to Mike Tyson and say, God made you. God, your identity's not in boxing. You were good at it. and, and, And sure, you were designed for it. But listen. God made you. He decides your purpose. He decides your identity. And if we are chasing after an earthly identity, we will never be fulfilled. Our identity and our purpose that goes along with it comes from our Creator. Our God establishes our plan, our purpose on planet Earth. Your purpose, your work will always be fulfilled in contributing to His creation. If you seek his purpose for you, your purpose, what he has for you, will always be fulfilled. It will always be part of contributing to his created order. That's God's purpose for all of us. Finding it in ourselves, never fulfilling. Looking for it in our self-image, not going to happen. Finding it in who God says we are, in the gifts, the talents he's given us, that's who God says we are. Then last, sin corrupts our choices. Sin corrupts our choices. The story ends this way. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, Since man has become like one of us, it doesn't mean man has suddenly become a God. It means that, that humanity now has insight into the things God did not intend. Man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. In their sin, humanity is prone 
to disobey God. Once Adam and Eve made that choice to directly disobey God, to do exactly what God's word told them not to do, sin and death entered into the world. So God knows that we are designed to make choices. Your, your life is a series of your choices. God has not taken that away. God does not take away free will. God designed us to reflect his nature, and part of that nature is the freedom to choose. And it's so important to God that you have free will that he will permit you to continue to choose, even if you choose to disobey him. However, God continues to call you back to him. God continues to give you his word. God continues to let you know what the right choice is if you will choose the right thing to do and choose what God wants you to do. But God also knows we are prone to disobey. Once Adam and Eve disobeyed, human beings are prone to disobedience. How do I know that God knows that? What did he do? Before he ejected Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, he gave the reason he was ejecting them. It was to protect them from further sin that could not be overcome. He said, you're not going to stay here because now that you've done that thing, you'll, you'll do it again. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Now that you've done that thing, you're going to do it again. And by his grace, God created perimeters. He didn't take away their free will. And he flat out says, I know you're going to make more choices. You still have free will. But he says, I'm going to create, by my grace, he creates perimeters and doesn't permit them to make matters worse. Ejects them from the Garden of Eden, knowing they're prone to sin. Then what's the last thing he does? God sets an angel with a flaming sword as a gatekeeper to the Garden of Eden. Ladies and gentlemen, on that day, law enforcement was born. Because we are sinners. And we are prone to disobey. We will make choices out of our free will. God calls us home to make the right choices. God shows us what our problem is so that we will come back to him. God reminds us our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. So we will surrender to him. Because as long as we're out there trying to make our own way, invent our own identity, come up with our own self-image, we will never be satisfied, never fulfilled, and we'll continue to make the wrong choices. So God calls us home. This past uh, July, uh, Victoria Price who's a uh, radio broadcast, excuse me, a TV broadcaster, news, news personality in Florida, was on the air making a report, finished the report, went back to her office and found that she had an email. And the email was from a viewer. And the viewer said, hey, loved your broadcast today. May I make a suggestion that you have that lump on your neck looked at by a doctor? And she continued reading. And the, the, the viewer said, I had a lump just like that on my neck, and it turned out to be thyroid cancer. So I would suggest you have that looked at. So she did, and it was. She had it removed. She received treatment. And she later posted on her social media that had it not been for that viewer on the outside looking in and the viewer having the willingness to tell her something was wrong, the cancer, this is the way she put it, the cancer would have grown and spread and quite likely, she would not have survived. To know our problem, we need someone on the outside looking in. That's what God's done for you. 
God has looked into your life and he has shown you why your relationships are broken, why your self-image is a struggle for you, why you, you search and search and search for a purpose, and why you're prone to make choices in disobedience to God. It's because of sin. But then God tells us in his word, we can come home. We can come home. We can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. And we can start over in Christ and find our new identity is in Jesus Christ. God has shown us what the problem is. The only question is, how will we respond? How will we respond? So believers in this room and at home, maybe you find yourself in this very situation that even though even though you say, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, you're also looking for affirmation from other people. You're, you're, on, you're on social media seeking your identity. Uh, you're, you're looking to build your self-image. And all of a sudden you realize God's speaking to you this morning. And it's time for you to just say, God, forgive me. You say who I am. And I'm a new creation in Christ. You give me my purpose. You give me my identity. You help me in my relationships. I'm a new creation in Christ. Because that's what it means to be born again in Christ in the first place. And maybe you're in this room or you're, you're right there at home. And you realize this morning, that's your problem. That's your problem. You are chasing identity. And you need to come back to your Savior. I would offer you this. This can be your homecoming day. This can be your homecoming. When you turn back to your Creator, when you come home to Christ and you, you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, you repent of chasing your own identity, uh, of rejecting who He says you is, you are, and you accept who He says you are in Christ. Come back to your Creator. Come home today. So I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. I'm going to pray for believers first, and then I'm going to pray for those of you here or at home who today go, I, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you to lead you in trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, to coming home to your Creator and finding your identity in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know, God, that all of us struggle with this one thing, our identity. I know, God, that we've been seeking fulfillment, contentment. We've been seeking our self-image. Uh, we've been struggling with all these things, Father. And, and it just seems like such a struggle until we turn to you and realize that you're the one that puts it all in place for us. Father, start with this today, God. Those who, who say we're believers in Christ, remind us, Father, that our identity is first and foremost in Jesus Christ. You are our creator. We're made in your image. You define us. You say who we are, Father. You give us our purpose. You guide us. You help us. You give us our self-image, God. You tell us who we are. And God, we will receive and accept that again. Father, forgive us for chasing our identity in all the ways the culture tells us to. Instead, God, we come back to you today. We find our identity in Christ. And Father, for that one who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, Father, I pray they would accept this invitation to come home to their creator today to stop living in their sin and stop live, making choices and disobedience to start focusing on who you say they are that they would come to Christ today and find their identity in Jesus Christ so Heavenly Father for those who need Christ as their Savior I pray this prayer today God and 
and ask that they would pray it with me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. Father, forgive me for chasing my identity in other places. And instead, Father, I come home to you today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and that he's alive today. Father, please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of sin. I repent of my sin, Father, and commit my life to Jesus Christ today. Heavenly Father, for those who have prayed that prayer with me, I pray that they would follow through with that new commitment to Christ, reaching out to First Baptist Church, reaching out to another church or a friend, letting them know of their commitment to Christ today. For all of us, God, we praise you and thank you, Father, for our identity being in Jesus Christ, for your reminder, God, that this is who we are. We were made in the image of God, made to serve you, made to glorify you. Father, help us to do that in the days ahead. For all of us, I pray, Father, that when the time comes that we make choices, we make decisions, we would seek your will and your word, always seeking to obey who you are. And at the same time, God, thank you so much for forgiving us of our sin. And it's because of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.